Man, now I'm down a snorts rabbit hole. I, I remember it being the cartoon that signified that all the rest of the cartoons of the day were going to be horrible. Wait, what's the game? Yeah, what's the Snorks in the Uh, we... Smurfs underwater? Barely around for four I mean, seasons back then, it's... I mean, I, I find any when, like, old cartoons are like, Hey, this ran for this many seasons. I'm like, but you probably turned out 60 episodes. It, that's what it, it was, 65 episodes. Okay, right? yeah, like, in nobody's business. It's, it's just, I know that's a season. And next week, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll crank up this, the next season. Anyway... Welcome to the Greatest Movies of All Time podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening whenever and wherever you are, especially all of our Patreon supporters in the live stream. Today we're talking The Fifth Element. It's in 1997? Wait, remember that correctly? Yeah. Uh, 1997's The Fifth Element. My name is Jesse. Um, confirming my doubt of movie release years, there is uh, Gabriel. Welcome. And filling the JV chair is my long-lost good friend, uh, Derek. Welcome. Hal. Hal, thanks for joining us. I mean, I'm just so everybody knows I'm coming live at you tonight from Boston Paradise. Oh, look at that. Yeah, see, you should have been writing the intro for this one. I do. That would have been good. But no, Derek, thanks for joining us. Um... But I, I said you are. It's, it's true. You and I, you know, we give a little bit of context for the, for the for the fans here. We've known each other for a very very long time. I mean, since we knew each other before the Fifth Element came out. That's that's fair to say. Indeed. Years before. Couple. couple. Yeah. That we'll, we'll let people do the math. But no, and then recently we kind of had. Um, our kind of uh, surprise talk show moment where we've kind of re- reconnected. And so I said, you got to be on the podcast then. That's the, what better way to get to know each other um, 20 plus years later than over a podcast talking about a movie from the 90s. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> and people, Sounds like you know, a good idea to me. Yeah, people can't tell that we have not talked for decades. So... Um, with, with those pregnant pauses and awkward uh, exchanges, who, who would ever guess we haven't talked for so long? No, but in seriousness, we've been chatting for the last few weeks, kind of doing little Zoom beer happy hours and 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 catching up on all the years. So I'm I'm grateful that you agreed to kind of jump on this sort of tomfoolery that is the Greatest Movies podcast. Thank you for having me. I'll try not to be uh, too boring. <laughs> wow. I don't do very many podcasts, so. You know, which is, yeah. We don't either. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah, you could look at that two ways. We're not JB jumping ship and going to other podcasts all the time, but but no, we yeah. just do this one. That's it. <laughs> and and even with the greatest movies podcast, we're not even consistent on when we get these out. So our patrons, which we 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 are thankful for the support of our patrons, um, and their understanding that we're not always consistent in a release schedule, but. Nobody's nerfed. <laughs> <laughs> so that is us. We are the greatest movies of all time podcast. Each episode, we take a film, we discuss it, and then we decide together um, if it should be considered one of the greats now and forever. And um, then we move on to close each episode. We play a game in which the winner will be granted the right to name an instant great of their choosing, which 
Derek, I, I don't know if I, we prepped you in the Patreon pre-show. If you win our game tonight, um, you will get to name an instant grade of your pick. Um, oh, wow. That's, uh... So you can start getting that in the back of your brain. Um, you also have another option if you win, because you kind of get the final word for our podcast and, and you pitch a film that you think is a great, we can't say a word. Um, the other option is you can choose to call into question one of the previous winner's selections up to the last four. And, and we'll talk about those at the end. When we get there. Yeah. But that that's that's the stakes for our game. Today's game is um, somewhat of a variation of a game we played called Mediocre in the Middle. Typically where we take a particular act, actor's um, film catalog and we look for the more mediocre films um, critically. And I would... Uh, think we could all safely assume that Bruce Willis will be the individual we'll be looking at tonight mm. um, for the game. But wait for that. And if you have any thoughts or things to share with us or game ideas or movies that we might should consider, and we are working down the Sandusky list, but we can always try to squeeze in a fan favorite. You can email us at greatestmoviespodcast at gmail.com. I don't think the two of you would mind if I tell you about a movie I watched recently. Hey, why don't you tell us about a movie you watched recently, Jesse? I will. And that movie... It might be a movie I've also watched. I think it is. And it is a movie starring Nicolas Cage called Pig. Um, and I really, really liked it. It's it's a smaller, independent-released film. It's It has a short theater run. I think it's kind of just living digitally now um, as a rental um, or a purchase. And... It's we've talked about it even in our previous episode, we've talked about it a little bit as something I, I was excited to see. Um, but it's a great little story about a um, a man and his truffle pig that gets stolen. And I love it that they pitch it even in the trailers. They like to hint at a bit that it's going to be this like John Wick type movie. That's everyone's response. Like, oh, is it John Wick with a pig? And no, it's well, I it's not. So I I wanna I wanna jump in yeah. really quickly because I too saw this film yeah and I have a lot of thoughts about this film same um I think this film is ripe for a a larger conversation I think you might be right um, this this it doesn't quite remind me of First Cow mm-hmm. but I think there's a richness to this story. That it does, that is in the same, not not the same, not the same type of story, and not the same context, but in that vein of just this kind of commentary on life and sort of the way we live. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a great. So I, I, I think I would like to have a, a. No, I think it definitely deserves a deeper. Con- I've seen it twice in the span of of between these our podcasts. I've watched it two I plan times. Plan to, to watch it a second time, if not a third time. I, I did. I actually purchased this digitally, um, based on your initial recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, I shot you a text. I'm like, go watch Pig. I watched it mm-hmm. and decided after I watched it, like, yeah, this this is worthy of of the current Rotten Tomato score. Yeah, it's sitting at ninety seven, ninety seven, ninety six percent. Yeah, around ninety six, sir. Yeah, great cage cage factor if you were drafting it. Um, no, yeah, I agree. I, I like to talk about it more. I will also say it passed. Speaking of first cow, it is past the 14, soon to be 15 year old um, quality test. Uh, my my oldest son, who 
really liked First Cow a lot. Um, he has he has labeled it Cage's best film he's ever seen. Uh, oh, wow! So so it's getting the wow. Is it wow? Oh, oh wow! Super interesting. Uh, you know how that uh, was it um a Batman movie where it says either uh, die hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. What comes after that though? Because that's what happened to Nick Cage. He was like everyone loved him, mm-hmm. everyone hated him, and now he's got a reawakening. So what what is that? Is it so you're the hero, you're the villain, and then the comeback? He's, he's, he's everything. Uh, <laughs> you're you're, you're well, it, just so like transcendent at that point. You're just transcendent at that point, right? <laughs> you're just elevated. Yeah. Give me God. <laughs> well, so that, that, like the thing with Cage, right, is this, is this history of there was, like, he was, he largely worked with like more independent directors early on in his career. Uh, he was in some, you know, really kind of seminal, for lack of a better way of, referring to him this is almost like counterculture films right not the, the face off three face off is definitely no no i'm saying i'm saying like raising arizona yeah yeah maybe um, like wild at heart know, wild at heart um valley girl right like i mean he was in these these kind of really at the time you know these kind of cutting edge films in in you know the, the 80s um and early 90s even and then he he kind of transitioned into a career where he just took pretty much every role that was offered him. And I think part of that was tied to sort of the extravagant lifestyle or quirky lifestyle he developed. I think there was like a tax. Yeah. There's stories uh, of like, like a tax like problem. He, he has a, yeah. His like accountant or his like, like the guy who was in charge of his finances, like screwed him over. And so he just kind of started taking every role just to kind of dig out of that hole. And to be fair, Right. He, he may put it like he may be in five or six films a year, but almost always, like at least I'd say in the, the most recent, like three or four years, he seems to be in at least one or two every year, or every other year that are are actually pretty damn good films. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mandy got, is fantastic. Mandy's great. Yeah, anything you know? Yeah, kind of what post Ghost Rider he started. He started picking up some some good little films. Films? What are you talking about? <laughs> I've not <laughs> seen Ghost Rider, so I can't speak. He's done like or, three of them. Yeah, he, he did a lot of them. Uh, and I know well, that. It's, like, it's, right. So it's it's, it's Ghost Rider and these <laughs> and Jujitsu. Yeah. And then he, he's like, while I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in this film called Jujitsu that's clearly terrible, but I'm also gonna be in you know, color out of space. Yeah. Uh, like, well, when he does which Mandy, is, he does, um, what was it? Primal about the tiger loose on a ship um, or a jungle cat. So. Well, yeah, I think he that? more embraces his personality now. Um, yeah. And I, I think part of it is like, car. I mean, he's been known to as like, you know, kind of a method actor and he does his thing and he's just like loose. He'll, he'll commit to a part. And um, yeah, it's just, it, I think it's great. Kind of like no care to the wind, what he does. Um, or you know, I would say I, I think he does care what he does, but he doesn't really care how it's received at this point. Ah. It seems. Um, so no, I think Pig. It, it's one of these things. It's 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 funny. Like when you see these actors, you know, we you see these movies. You have conversations. You know what? You know we talked about way back when we did Uncut Gems and Adam Sandler. Like oh my gosh, Adam Sandler did a serious film. But we talked a lot about how Adam Sandler had done a number of serious things and he's capable. It's the same thing here with Nick Cage, not comparing these as like quality of actors, but Nick Cage, he does these surprising roles and every like with Pig, everybody's like, oh my gosh, Nick Cage is doing a great film. 
And it's like, well, have you been paying yeah. attention to his career the, the whole time? I mean, again, right? It, it's not like it's not like he was a bad actor when he was no. younger, right? He he didn't he didn't unlearn how to act or or use those talents. I think a lot of it is just you know he again he takes he takes almost every role offered, and that doesn't mean that he's always working with the best script or the best director. I mean, hell, the 2013's Joe, right? Well, that, right. That's an yeah. extremely well-reviewed film. <laughs> um, the acting in that, like, is, is fantastic. Uh, so it's, it, I mean, I get it, right? Anybody putting out that many films in any given year, you know, like uh, 2018, right? There was six, six films yeah. that either he did voice acting in or was in physically yeah. that were released. I mean, two of them were animated. He was in, in Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse and Teen Titans right. Go. And, 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 and his voice in the... In I did not know that. In the, in, I did not know that. Yeah, in the Spider-Man, in the Spider-Verse, that was great. It was like, fantastic, his, yeah. His Spider-Man, what, noir? Spider-Man noir, Spider-Man. like, and he plays that perfectly. And he was great. It was like a highlight for me in that film when when that popped up, um, for sure. But um, but no, so I think Pig's worth a, a larger conversation. I, I recommend it fully for anybody curious. Um, I, I know it's also, you know, people talk about the John Wick with a pig. I, I know part of it's like, oh, it's Nick Cage. It's about a guy who loves a pig. It's this like quirky little movie. Um, and that's kind of how it's been pitched and sold. Um, and if that's I what... actually love the way that this film is presented in the trailer. Yeah. And then what this film turns out to be. No, it's great. So I get that. And I'm also excited on, on the last note. For this, though this is not um, an A24 film, it's a uh, neon pictures, whatnot, but it's definitely in that A24 vibe. I'm, I'm interested in what I'm going to call like the Animal Farm or the Farmhouse trilogy that we seem to be getting first with First Cow, then Pig, and I'm excited for Lamb. If you have not seen the trailer for Lamb, this A24 film about a couple that raises a, a lamb as a child. That's all I a can, lamb child. Yeah. That's all I can it's gather a, from it. A, a child with a human body and a lamb's head. And that's all I want to know. Um, I'm not giving anything away. That's no, in the no, trailer. No, that's in the trailer. And that's all I want to know from the trailer. I've seen that in the trailer. Anything else, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for yeah. its release. So I'm gonna, I'm calling that like my farmhouse trilogy. Uh, we're already off the rails. Like we're, <laughs> we're so far off the rails. Like I, I saw the trailer for that. Yeah. Recently, I. And yeah, it was. It starts. It's like there's an Icelandic folktale or yeah. something, right? And I was like, "What?" And just with <laughs> like within the minute and a half of the trailer's runtime, I was yeah. just, I don't know what this is, but I'm in. No, I purposely avoided this trailer because I was I was not interested because I felt you know what I'm over it. it's too much a twenty four, you know I'm I'm riding this pig love right now and um, for lack of a better term and now i see this lamb and you know what a24 we stop you know was kind of my thing and then i watched the trailer and i'm like oh my a24 keep it coming whatever you're doing you know i just go ahead and take all my money yeah now. so anyway that's that so pig we'll talk more later more than we already yep. have um, i'm not going to talk about anything else i saw only <laughs> that i did see the um i'm not going to speak about it i think it's worth a watch the val kilmer documentary on amazon prime um called Val. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, anybody who grew up in the 80s and 90s, I think, and watch movies, um, at minimum, you owe it to yourself to watch it. 
And um, it's just also interesting to see how an actor's life evolves um, as they get older, dealing with family, cancer, and 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 and, and above. So it's um, I think it's a great yeah. documentary. That one's that one's definitely on my list. Um, is that a twenty four? It's it's a twenty four. Is it Prime? It's it's on Prime. It's some. It's it, it does. I don't think it's like a full blown A twenty four. I don't know where if they're like just part of the production. They're they're part of it, but it's yeah. Not. That's what I thought. And a lot of the, pops up. A lot of the footage is stuff he filmed himself, like kind yeah. of documenting mm-hmm. his life. Yeah, he's uh yeah. He, he filmed a lot of things just casually, um, all the time with video cameras and camcorders, and uh, paints and does art, and uh, it's it's really fascinating. So. Yeah, definitely on on my my two watch list. I definitely recommend it. So that's me, um, Derek. Have you seen anything to to share with the crew? You know, I I, I watched the new um, Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, not that's right. Suicide Squad. It's the Suicide. Um, I actually, that, watched no, it's it. very important. <laughs> it's, it's very important to because that. is this a reboot? Is this a sequel? Yeah. Who knows? But it's the it's the Suicide Squad. Um, and I actually watched it a couple of times. I watched it once by myself, and then I was over at a buddy of mine's house, barbecuing, burning meat, and we put it on in the background. It's a, it's a great movie for that. His kids are there. Uh, Suicide Squad playing? Oh, yeah. Oh, but uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, cool. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so his kids are like 15 and <laughs> Okay, no, you're cool. That's cool. Oh, okay. Not like, <laughs> children. Not like three-year-olds they, running around. They've already been corrupted. So. Talking about bags of dicks, yeah. <laughs> uh, very, very uh, entertaining movie, I would say overall. Whole beach full of dicks. <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I too saw Suicide Squad, and same, same. I agree. I think it is an extremely entertaining film. I think, I think this film is a testament to a couple of things. Um, I think. Casting, right? Like the retention of some of the better actors from the first film. And then the addition of cast members who are able to really kind of live in the skin of these characters and just bring them to life on screen. Uh, you know, not the biggest John Cena fan, but he's he's terrific in this. Uh, it, the chemistry between he and Idris Elba uh, is like that's what makes the film for me. Um, I love all the other sort of. I mean, Margot Robbie, I, I think, is emerging in my mind is just one of the most versatile actresses. I mean, the, her role in Itania, you know, you got Harley Quinn, you got the the, the bit part in like Wolf of Wall Street, but then everything else that, that she's doing, um, I just I think she's fantastic. But I think it comes back to Right. This is this is maybe other than uh, I think this is better than Shazam, but I think other than maybe Shazam. Right. This is the first D.C. film that understands what it is and that it's a comic. Right. And, And it plays in that space of, hey, there's supposed to be humor here. Right. It doesn't all have to be dark and gray and shadows. And, and gritty and and they they have fun with just the absurdity of this film right they have fun with the absurdity of of who these characters are and why this this crew exists 
and that's that's what sold me right i i in to me this of in the dcu this is the best dcu film i would i would i would agree i would definitely agree uh the addition of Idris Alba really to the cast and got rid of Will Smith, got rid of the Fresh Prince and all the baggage that comes with him. And God, I mean, I don't, I don't see him as a, a character actor, but I, I guess he probably is. I, that's just the way it is. Uh, but I think the chemistry, the on-screen chemistry between the entire cast and the great writing that like, you know, uh, Cena says I'll kill it as many men, women and children I have to for peace. It, it, like that's hilarious writing so good stuff again it, it, i think it, it comes back to to james gunn understanding how comics work like he understands the beats and the way like storyboarding and panels work in actual comics and understands how to then kind of translate that to the screen he did it twice with guardians of the galaxy like he's done it here you know, well, it's, I think it's really interesting about James Gunn is that he gets away with things that no one else gets away with. Like uh, the the I, I would normally have said it back in the day, but the P slur, right, as they call it now, calling a person a P slur. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was used multiple times in that movie, and that's just things you don't see in in modern filmmaking. There's a lot of scared directors and writers out there if you ask me. well yeah it's interesting i mean not to get too much into it right because this is also this this happened some this movie somewhat happened because he was under attack for decade old twitter Ass tweets yeah twitter posts right I'm going after bob dylan now i can't believe that but anyways but, but you know what i mean like age-old things that kind of and 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 sort of something because he kind of spoke his mind about you know various things um you know he kind of got became a target and was attempted at being canceled and get kicked off of Guardians for a while. And, and, and now so, he's back. And now he's back at Guardians. But then through that, he got the Suicide Squad. And in some ways, this was his, you know, this was no, I'm not, no way saying it was like a retribution. Like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what I can actually say and get away with. But it was just sort of like, I don't know, kind of validating the James Gunn voice and, and knowing of who he is and, and what he really stands for and that he's not, and he's the person who has grown, obviously, from the things he said in the tweets, but that he still has a humor and understands what the humor is and at the same time, um, I, th- I think it was just like, hey, this is who James, this is the James Gunn brand, if you will. Um, and he made a James Gunn film without being, over, you know, without being crass and offensive um, either, but but like you said, he still got things in there that some of the directors would be afraid to touch. I think it was super helpful, also that Zack Snyder and his wife produced it. I mean, I think that's Zack Snyder's lane. He should uh, help other directors create a vision, not necessarily make his a reality. Because after that eight-hour mess, <laughs> I don't know if you guys actually the uh, his cut of uh, whatever the Justice League. Yeah. Are you talking about the the the, the three day yeah. long cut of okay. the, the Justice League? Batman versus Superman. Yeah, it's eight hours long. <laughs> that's that's four, but yeah, it, it felt it at times. No, no. Listen, I'm listen. I I, I agree. We've talked. We did an episode about Justice League, a, a mini episode. We did a whole episode about it. Just, just episode. hit it. But um, I agree that it's a mess. Um, I love the mess of the Justice League, but 
Um, it's a I, good I'm, movie between I, the original cut and the Snyder cut. And, and that's and that was somewhere really in there. We, that is the that is the conclusion we arrived at was yeah. somewhere. It needs like the Snyder cut needs a little more editing. Yeah. The the Whedon cut needs some more storytelling. Yeah, but it, but but I think I agree with you. It was really it's really also good to see that um, James Gunn had the opportunity to kind of make this. And and I in some ways it's like not that. I like this much better than even the Guardians films. Um, well, I saw most of it. I'll be honest. I haven't seen all the way through the Suicide Squad. It was late night, but I, I liked it more than, than the Guardian stuff. I mean, and, and I think this is this is the last. I'll say this. If, lest, we, lest we forget where James Gunn got it to start. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about someone who worked for Troma Pictures. Yeah. Right. We're talking about someone who worked for Lloyd Kaufman. And who had a very brief cameo in this. But I think most times. Yeah. And pops up in guns films right like he he directed he directed a hand like a couple of shorts for trauma um but i mean he's also been playing in the superhero space since 2010 when he directed brain wilson in super which is a very like it's a it's a really dark comedy um and, and it you know it's not marvel or dc but it's it's a it's an interesting take, right, on on trying to understand how someone transforms into a, a vigilante, for lack of a better way of like talking about it. It, I just, I think this is a guy who understands where boundaries exist and and just how far he can kind of step over those lines, and and then make it work in a way that doesn't come across as as overly crass or vulgar. But more playful, and you know, it. I mean, point of fact, right? The, the dialogue for Peacemaker. I, I, I don't know how you read it any other way than than sort of commentary on that traditional, like antiquated American patriot cowboy mentality. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. My, but, uh, yeah, my, my only thought on it, watching it was as someone who doesn't really get too hyped for superhero movies these days. Um, and it's kind of checked out of the superhero genre from just kind of overkill, it feels. Um, I really liked it. was really refreshing um, to have not only just the game, James Gunn style. Um, we were talking a bit about in the Patreon pre-show. Derek, you mentioned about just kind of the CG, CGI usage in this. Um, I just like the look of it. It had this kind of grittier the grittier look um all of it just worked well the kind of the what was kind of like undersaturated kind of washed out look well, a know, little bit it had like i just appreciate it it was refreshing for a superhero film the the excessive gore though also really can desynthesize an audience to the crassness or or bad jokes right because there's a there was a lot of gore in there i was surprised about that mm-hmm. so, so, like, and so much of the gore was played to comedic effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, also, I think what was very helpful about it was, so like, the superhero genre has just, you know, I agree with Scorsese a little bit, has ruined movies. Um, for one thing, it's, it's put too much weight on the plot of a movie. Like, what's this about? What world are they saving? And, like, this movie is just, a, like, a, some island down in South America, and they're just going on a little mission. So... It was just a, a feel-good summer movie. I think that's why I liked it. Cool. Personally. Yeah. 
I mean, I renewed my HBO Max just to see it. So. <laughs> just to see it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Which Are you, you going to hold on to that until till Dune releases? No, and, I'll, I'll probably do the same thing. I'll probably drop it and then pick it back up when Dune hits. Actually, Dune, Dune I think I want to see in the theater. Yes, yes. I am going... I will sit there and be annoyed by people, but I... It looks really good. It does. It does. I don't. I don't yeah. I think it, again. I think it's. Yeah. I'm a big fan of like the uh, what you call it um, the the original one in the '70s by what's the name? Oh, oh uh, you mean the Lynch dude? Yeah, David Lynch's. I'm like a big fan of that. Yeah. Yes, there you go. Comic Lachlan Sting. I, I'm, I'm a huge Denis Villeneuve fan, and I mean that that guy has done no wrong in my mind. When you you look at his track record with things like enemy and prisoners and arrival and i mean uh oh boy why is it leaving me now um 2040 blade runner 2049 oh that's right yeah 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 who 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 resurrects the blade runner franchise and nails it like nails it so i gotta watch that i'm 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 all for the fact that that he is directing. Like I'm, I'm in for two films. I love the fact that he fought to get two films. He's like, this story can't be told in a single film. So yeah, I'm, I'm just anxiously sort of waiting to see what happens this fall with how things play out um, yeah. as the pandemic rages on. Oh. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, but- and the pandemic rages on like a teenager at <laughs> <laughs> a house party with the parents gone. Rage against the uh, rage against the pandemic. Rage uh, against the vaccine. Yeah, rage against- <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it because there's nothing to talk about. But I, oh my god! No. Speaking of rage against the machine, it reminded me. I also watched that that Woodstock '99 uh, documentary I thing. Really that. Uh, which to me, the, my my response on that is like how can you be surprised? Like, I mean, uh, it's, it was, did, talk, did we talk about we that? Jesse? About this. Yeah. Okay. I was like, this uh, sounds familiar. Let's talk. 99 was terrible. The bands who played were terrible. Uh, well, that's, I didn't want to go to it. Why would I want to watch a documentary about it? And so people are watching and they're like, Oh man, this is just terrible, terrible scene here. And just macho male frat rock thing. I'm like, yeah, corn. Well, I mean, Metallica was there. So, I mean, come on. Megadeth. No, no, but 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 the big the big focus is for this thing where Limp Biscuit, Kid Rock, um <laughs> they were the ones I mean they were the ones dominating the music. Metallica was you know, Metallica had already done its thing by then. This, they were about to Pete. go into counseling and, and release their <laughs> In some, what is it? Some kind of monster? What, what the yeah. hell was it? Was it yeah. something? I don't know. Something about Lars, a monster? Lars and uh, James, like, arguing about hurting each other's feelings. Look, at least they went to therapy. No, no right? I know. I, I'm I mean, glad, come on. I'm glad they got in better places. But I think like, it was just James Hatfield was a drunk. No, it, 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 he had his, his problem, <laughs> his addiction problems for sure. Um, but wow. no, and then Megadeth, Chili Peppers. But anyway, I. Oh, okay. All these people were talking about Woodstock '99, like, "Oh my God, just, I can't believe it was so terrible." I'm like, well, you just weren't alive back then and didn't have MTV, so. I, dude, corn, corn is so like corn with a K, <laughs> corn with a K and a backwards R. 
Fred Durst is all you have to say. Like, come on. All right, moving on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Oh, my God. I've seen so many movies. I mean, I, I, I can't go through them all. I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'm going to try and hit on a couple that surprised me or that were things that I visited for the first time that I probably should have watched a long time ago. All right. uh, and I'm going to try and be quick about it. Um, so, update, right? Because we, oh. we've been tracking my progress on this. I did uh, watch the final installment of Netflix's Fear Street, Fear Street 1666. That's right. I can't recommend this this trilogy enough. I think it's fantastic to to film and put together three, like a, a, a series of three films that are released. I think they were released a week apart. Um, and have them be as good as they are and as consistent as they are and weave this this connected tissue the, like this connected story um i i think it's fantastic i i really no we've talked about yeah. it and i still haven't started i started a little bit of the first one 94 and was just like oh it's not the right time to watch it i have a question is i haven't done much looking into it is it the same director for all three? Yeah, okay. yeah. She so it, it's a female director. Um, yeah, I knew the first she one. Has, she has she has a TV miniseries that is in the works. It's currently filming called The Staircase. Um, she she directed um, two episodes of the screen of Scream the TV series mm-hmm. uh, that was I was around 2015 2016. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, th- these three films are I believe. Yeah, I believe. No, I'm gonna backtrack here really quick. I was gonna say I think this is her feature film debut, but she she had a, a prior film that she directed called Honeymoon. Um, but these are these are like her first three major films. I think it's just a cool kind of release schedule too. Like, hey, let's drop a trilogy within a month. You know. She, so she wrote the screenplay for all three of these, right? Like she directed these. I, I, uh, her name is is uh, Lee Janiak. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. But yeah, no, I I can't wait to see more from her. Um, just super impressed with that trilogy of films. Uh, can't recommend it enough if you like the teens and peril slasher horror yeah cool so yeah, it gets a bit into the supernatural too so it's it's fun it's it's i think it's really fun i i can't say that i've had more fun with a horror series in a while it's been it's been a while since I've I've enjoyed a horror series as much as I enjoyed the Fear Street trilogy. Um, it's on Netflix. It is on Netflix. All three films are on Netflix. All three films are now available. Um, I watched them, you know, episodically somehow, but as they came out, um, I yes, it's almost like a British TV series. It's like here are three ninety-minute episodes. Pretty much, yeah. It feels that way. Um, but I think each of these films is almost two hours long. Okay, wow, nice. But it's good. It's uh, so it's absolutely worth your time. Um, 
went back and there are two comedies that I went back and watched that that I never watched when they originally were around and and that maybe it was a failing on my part or I just it wasn't at the time it wasn't like in my wheelhouse and so it wasn't on my it wasn't like uh, I'm gonna go see that uh I saw 2001's Legally Blonde oh wow first watch <laughs> first watch okay cool um wow. I loved it yeah it's great like I I loved it I, I thought it was great <laughs> I, I thought Reese Witherspoon was extremely likable um, in in watching her evolution as a person or as a character. Um, and you know, I'm I'm an Elle Woods fan now. Good. I'll say that. Oh, it's, it's a good. In uh, not in the same vein, but right, uh, a comedy that I passed over. I mean, because in 1989, I was 12 years old, 11, 12 years old. I don't remember. I don't know when I was born. Um, I watched Rob Reiner's When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. First time. Yeah, that's right. It's the first time watched. Yeah. That's, that's uh, uh, again, one that, you know, wasn't, it wasn't something that, that 11, 12-year-old me was like, yeah, let me watch this rom-com. <laughs> like, let me watch this rom-com with billy crystal as a as the leading man yeah. uh, uh, the 90s <laughs> uh it's a great film yeah it's a it's a it's a great film the dialogue is so snappy the chemistry between meg ryan and, and billy crystal is fantastic rob reiner i mean rob ryan this is what rob reiner does He's very good at directing conversation-based comedies. He he nailed it. Uh, I don't know what else to say. No, uh, yeah, don't need to go into a bunch of detail. No. The late Carrie Fisher is in this. Uh, Bruno Kirby. Just excellent cast. Excellent casting. Terrific acting. Just a, all around. Just a, a really, really fun watch. And, and the, the screenplay from Noir Afron or it, it just... Oh, yeah. I, if you've never seen When Harry Met Sally, watch it. I, I don't remember where it was streaming. I don't remember if it was Prime or Netflix or whatever, but it's free somewhere. Free somewhere. If you've never I, seen it, do yourself a favor. I agree. Go see I, when I, Harry I might do yourself a favor. Revisit watch it. Because I know I, I revisited it like in my 20s at some point. Like, oh, I need to see this because, as, like you as a kid, this is a movie that I knew existed. It was like a movie my mom liked or something. And, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how I was like. This is a movie for my parents. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely, I, saw this. I definitely saw it at some point in my twenties. It's like, oh, I need to see it, um, but I haven't seen it since. So yeah, definitely might track it down if it's definitely if it's streaming. I like, I want to go rent this weird sci-fi shit. That's what I want to watch. I want to watch yeah, sci-fi and action, um, and I want to watch dumb comedies written for twelve-year-old kids. Hot shots. That's part, what I want to watch. That's part do. Let's do it. Yeah, what? Hot shots. Uh, Original hot shots, maybe. Hot shots. I don't. Well, I, I remember seeing both of them, like being pumped. I'm trying to remember which was Are, there one that, like Major League. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Instant classic. Um. I was just trying to pick the bad ones. Part two. I. I'm good. I'm, like, this is already. We've already. We've run someone. Um. I did the also see. I'm sorry. My <laughs> God. <laughs> I, I watched a film that I 
I think I had written off as just, well, that, there's no way that's good, right? Um, it's streaming on HBO Max. 2020's Freaky Star Vince Vaughn. Well, I've been wanting to see this. Yeah, it's on my like. At some point, I'll watch this film. Watch this tomorrow. Cool. Watch it tomorrow. Like, it's just like a body switch movie, or like it's it's like Freaky Friday meets like serial killer. Yeah. But oh my god, Vince Vaughn is so good in this. It's so good. Like the the physical acting in this film. It's a horror comedy. But imagine this giant ass, six foot seven or however fucking tall Vince Vaughn is, right? This giant man, mm-hmm. as if he's inhabited by the spirit of a sixteen-year-old girl. Yeah, and he, the, the physical acting—it's so good. It's so funny. And it fits, it so perfectly fits the mannerisms of the teenager prior to the transition. I, it's, it was a lot of fun. Cool. No, it's definitely on my list. Yeah. I did see with my reinstated prime that it was there. So I was like, I need to watch that before my time's up. All right. And the, the, so last thing I'm going to mention, because I, I did, Jesus. So many. Um, I, I saw two films by the same director star. Like she's also the female lead in both of these films. Um, I watched uh, 2017's Band-Aid, which is streaming on Hulu, um, as well as 2021's How It Ends, which is a, an early release, like early access rental on Prime. Um, called, uh, again, this both of these are directed by Zoe Lister-Jones. She is stars in both of these. Um, both of these are... are I think they're really good watches. Uh, Band-Aid is a story about a, a married couple who are kind of stagnant and like they're having clearly they can't stop fighting. So they decide as like a last ditch effort to try and save their marriage, they're going to form a band and just oh. write songs about their fights. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Adam Pally is in this. Fred Armisen's in this. Susie Essman. Um, Retta from uh, Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. and it, uh, a few other people you would recognize. It's a it's a it's a really fun film. It's heartwarming. Uh, I I think I think it's worth ninety minutes of your time. Um, it's refreshing to see kind of a, a different take on a rom com slash divorce, almost borderline divorce film. Um, and, and how a couple finds a way to kind of reignite uh, their their love for one another. Cool. Um, and then how it ends is the it's a it's a very strange existential comedy focused on a, a, an impending apocalypse, like a meteor is about to strike the earth. Uh, and so everyone knows this is their last day and it's how do you reconcile these things you have inside you and kind of function um, knowing it's your last day on earth uh, not not a feel good comedy no um, but I, I think both of these films offer something I, I'm interested to see 
how Zoe Lister-Jones continues to grow and progress as a writer and director. I think she's a, a very fine uh, comedic actress. But yeah, so so 2017's Band-Aid, which is free streaming on Hulu, and How It Ends, which is an early access rental uh, on Prime. I say check both of those out if you're into quirky mm-hmm. indie comedy. Cool. No, it's funny. I almost... Now that we've spent two hours talking about shit we watched. Yeah, well, we'll let's squeeze in about six minutes for... Uh, six minutes? Fifth element, <laughs> and then we'll wrap this thing up and move on to the game. Um, no, it's great. You know, it's, we've watched a lot of things. We got a lot of things to talk about. It's 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 a, it's a weird like it's. I think it's weird. It's like an exciting time for movies, but at the same time, it feels like movies are um, in a weird place. Um, but I think we found some things we should check out and watch. New and old. Man, this, I, I've I've hit this like, I've, you know how about like three to six months into the pandemic you hit like i definitely think we all kind of hit this like weird place of like wow what is this why am i even here what what the fuck is going on and is this the end like is this is this it is it, is um it like a document i think i'm over 31st that's what i thought <laughs> I've like I've like come full circle back around to this like existential semi existential crisis uh, or existential semi crisis. I don't know which one it is, and that's just kind of where I'm just sitting in this weird space where it's like, you know, I'm gonna spend my time doing the things I want to do. Yeah, because I, I don't I don't I don't know what what happens from here, and uh, I you know I decided I want to watch a lot of fucking movies so i did and i didn't even get to half of them yeah no. i know i know that's well we'll save that list for the the patrons we'll post that in the chat they can see the rest of your i'll take a, i'll take a i'll take a picture and post it of just my notebook page with all of the doodles and the Perfect. massive list of films i love it but yeah the fifth uh, element yeah speaking of weird films um and weird moods let's let's talk fifth element um luke besson besson's uh luke besson's the fifth luke, element it's yeah, it's it's a movie. Um, it, I mean, it's 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 set in a a future, a very a very colorful future, um, where you know an ex ex black ops and just what a mili- ex military agent, ex military type person, cur- current cab driver just becomes this kind of pivotal central figure in you know this battle between the evil that will end all of existence yeah some big evil uh, and and escorting whatever this ultimate or finding escorting whatever whatever you want to call it this ultimate weapon against that so yeah. well, I guess it is like an escort mission though I didn't think about it like that it is I, I, I mean I, it's it it feels a bit at times right like a a, a semi different take on the professional um <laughs> yeah it's just... you know it, it like the the hitman's bodyguard it, or the bodyguard kevin costner Whitney, whatever you want like it it feels a little bit right like this is the formula let's take this and just really flip it and twist it and play in the sci-fi space yeah and, and have a bunch of weird costumes to go with it <laughs> all 
all designed by Jean-Paul Gaultier. Yeah, oh, wow. I believe it. I, know that. I mean, I know that, I that's it. the first time that's like watching the film this time. It's the first mm-hmm. time I noticed that in the credits or at least that it stood out. Like maybe I noticed it before and was like, oh, Jean-Paul Gaultier. I don't know what that means. That's click, yeah. <laughs> Yes, we do but sometimes. Yeah. Um, I kind of, you know, we're jumping in here, which I love. Um, sometimes we do like a little history with the film, you know, kind of get us rolling our thoughts. I'll just say this: like, this is a film. I'll be honest; I haven't really thought about it since I, 1997 um, much. I saw it in the theater, um, and in 97, it. I, I don't want to say it didn't click with me. But it didn't stick with me. Um, I was like, okay, th- this is cool. Uh, it's a cool little sci-fi movie. Um, and then kind of moved on. And ever since then, prior to this rewatch, you know, you hear Fifth Element talked about a lot as this sort of great film. Um, and I'm like, what? What am I missing? You know, you know, I've missed something because I haven't messed with this film in 30 years. You know, or thought about it. Um, yeah, so that's that's just kind of my so it's kind of interesting returning to it and, and kind of seeing it differently. So that's just kind of my my background with this film, um, if you will. But yeah, I, I think uh, the most one of the most interesting and telling things about it are um, the cast. It's the '90s, the late to mid '90s. Bruce Willis, Gary Oldman, Mila Jovovich, which I think she went. I felt like the entire movie, everyone was just having a good time except for her. And she took the role super serious. Like she was going to get an, an Oscar for this one. And she was just, but like a lot of things about the performance didn't really make much sense. But what was super interesting is that um, the, you know, the, the billing of the, the stars in the role in the very beginning of the movie, Luke Perry got top billing. The guy was in the movie for 10 minutes. Barely. Yeah. No, not even, not even, not even. I mean, he comes right after uh, Chris Tucker, right? And this is like post, like Friday, Chris Tucker, you know, I don't think he had done the Jackie Chan movies yet by then, but. Um, you mean the Rush Hour trilogy? <laughs> the Rush Hour trilogy. <laughs> Those Rush Hour trilogy? Um, but Gary Oldman, though, I, I'll, I'll give any movie I watch like some extra points if he's in it, because his performance in. Every movie I probably ever seen. I mean, my favorite performance of his is in True Romance, where he plays oh, yeah. the uh, Jamaican drug dealer. Oh, yeah. Come on, come on, yeah. <laughs> but this one, he plays like like a like a fashion. I don't. Uh, it was a very French movie, so I, I think there was a lot of tropes that went over my head even now. But I think overall, the movie is like it's like a mix between Jerry Lewis meets like Idiocracy. That's the, the level of comedy and uh, of writing in it. But but Luc Besson is, I mean, he did The Professional and he did Le Femme de Kita, so yeah. I can forgive. But, but uh, this Gary Holman's like clear, like half helmet. That half <laughs> plastic helmet with that his hair somehow comes out yeah, of also. Out. It's just, it's just, and, and, but looking like that and then still Holman's performance um, is just... It's just yeah, it's it's stand out in that movie. I, that's one of the things that I just fell in love with on this watch. I, it's it's a real. Uh, all right, so I, I will. I'm gonna hold off on. I'm gonna try to hold off on commenting on actual reaction to the film and and things because there uh, there's a lot. Yeah. Um, 
I, I saw this film when it came out. I saw it in a theater in 97. I fucking fell in love with this film. Like it blew, it just blew me away. Like I, I had, I already had this affinity for it. And the reason I went to see it was not, it wasn't Bruce Willis. It wasn't Gary Oldman. It wasn't Mila Jovovich. Like at around the age of 15, I started developing this like theory, right? That the way you get consistent films is who's the director, right? Like, Who's the director? It doesn't matter. Like, if you latch onto a particular actor, yes, you will more times than not. If they're really good, you're going to get a solid performance. But that doesn't mean you're going to get a good, a good film. And so I, I, I became obsessed with just learning, like, reading all of like all of the the title scroll, like the the credit scroll. And I was like, I want to know who the director is. I want to know who the cinematographer is, and I want to know who wrote the screenplay. And I it started obsessing over this at 15 or 16. And I saw the professional, and the professional just fucking blew me away. Love, love, love the professional. Jean Renault, like just fantastic, these like incredible panning shots. But that's what got me in the door for the fifth element. And I was like, I, I don't know what this is. This looks very different from the professional. Um, what am I watching here? And just the colors, right? The the way that the colors in this film pop. Um, the the performances, like yeah, there there are plot holes. There's all sorts of just absolute ridiculousness. But you know, he he casts Tricky like as a as a small bit character. Gary Oldman with this weird semi-southern, mm-hmm. like it's like a weird mix of Louisiana slash like Alabama. I don't know what's going on there with the voice he chose, but it it works. <laughs> um, that and that that's that's my memory of this film, and it is one that I literally I used to go back to every like two or three years i'd go back to it i'd watch i've owned i've owned this film in three different formats at this point um and that's so that that's my history with with this film i i was familiar with chris tucker but seeing chris tucker in this film changed the way i thought of chris tucker and, and it changed what I thought he could be as an actor. Uh, yeah, and so that like that those those are those were always my like those were my initial thoughts the first time I saw this film. Those were the things I wanted to come back to and kind of re-explore in this watch. And this is probably the first time I had watched it in five to seven years, because mm. um, I, I kind of started moving away from from that more frequent watch site but yeah first first impressions history there you go i it's it's one of the most french films i've seen undercover though um which well i think was very interesting about this film i don't know about the other films that luc Besson has, has done 
But he, I know he wrote this one. Uh, apparently, he started writing it when he was a child and carried on through the years and stuff like that. Um, but I, one thing I really love about watching movies, and especially on a multiple watch on one, is I start to like to pay attention to the background, right? Like I like to see the universe, the director, the writer, you know, all the people, the team that created that movie, their vision of the world. Because that's really what, to me, what filmmaking is. It's like, let me create a version of reality and show it to people, right? Let me tell some kind of story and create reality. But there's very French film. Um, it's It had interesting things like 80% of the females you saw in it all had the same haircut. Hmm. Um, the, uh, the, the women who served the food at McDonald's that the police were picking up before all the stuff happened, all were dressed in like baby doll outfits. Um, they all have these like crop top bob cuts in the entire movie. But, which you, is- You mean the, the very, the very- Yeah, the, the bangs. Yeah. It, you had like a dread version of it, but all the other ones had the, almost like the same exact haircut. It's a squared bang cut. Yeah, the, but I will say this though, that it's, so 97, it's probably the, so 97 was huge then, like shows like Seinfeld and Friends, right? Mm -hmm. I never really watched those because it just didn't have the people that I hung out with or the conversations I had involved in it, right? But in 97, it was probably one of the most multicultural uh, diverse cast you'll ever see, but that's that's Europe though. That's Paris, so understandable. This film, yeah, I mean yeah. that that's that's one of the, the first things that jumped out to me, uh, particularly in in trying to critically like view this because one of the things, and, and I mean Jesse, I, I think would confirm this, right? They're films that I've I've loved historically, but in watching them in in kind of a, a modern lens. I, I start to recognize the lack of diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and 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 kind of this missing representation of either people of color or women and and female, you know, or or people of color, like, like different people's perspectives. And I think this is one of those films where, I mean, yeah, it's some intergalactic, crazy, futuristic spaceship, but it's, it's like holy, shit, like you see people who are clearly. Of, of mixed backgrounds and people who are clearly of different like ethnic backgrounds and, and there's androgyny and and there's there's like sexlessness um, or genderlessness like sprinkled throughout this film and and it's it's like holy shit you're right um, there weren't a lot of films being made in, in the late 90s at least not by major motion picture studios. Um, no, no that, where, that was supposed to be a blockbuster. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like where you see this diversity represented on screen. And and that to me, that is literally about a third of the way through the film was like, I've already seen so many different people in this film. And and I've, I've just seen like it's it, and that's that's what I think that's one of the things I've I've always kind of of played around with or, or thought about, particularly when you go back to like early Star Trek, right? Roddenberry would use aliens, right? The, these people from distant planets and in, in different galaxies to kind of talk about diversity on Earth and our inability to sort of just figure out like, hey, we're, we're all 
pretty much the same. Like, why don't you get over that shit and, and, and just see people for who they are. And I think to your point, right. Basan started writing this when he was young. I've, I'm pretty damn confident he was influenced by, by Star Trek, you know, and Gene Ronberry. And this is, this is like his version of that. I, I, um, I, I do think though that it has, I don't understand things about the background, right? Um, I don't understand. Well, here's, uh, I, I was thinking, so Ruby Rod, Chris Tucker's character. Mm-hmm. So a lot, of, a lot of movies back in the day were just foretelling the future. It, it was almost like he's, his character was a over version of Little Nas X, right? But straight. Um, but one thing I've, I found very, very interesting, and I mean, maybe it had to do with the times is, uh, they're sitting there with the president. Uh, they're looking at the alien planet, and they pan in the room. And the guy stands up, and it's the father guy who's the main character through it, right? And they pull back wide shot, and you see him and his little assistant. And then on one side you see a rabbi, and on the other side you see a cardinal and a bishop. But you don't s- see a representation of islamic or eastern which is tough where you can have a buddhist monk there i guess you could you have like a dalai lama looking person but it's just interesting that that's the future those producers imagined right um the men are very effeminate um i mean whatever floats your boat it's just bruce willis wore like a strap backless peach tank top the entire film <laughs> and, uh-huh. and this is diehard right here right this is um buddy right from pulp, is that his name in pulp fiction but right but he was the reason he was the star of that movie because that's what society saw as masculine right a leading man it was bruce willis which is kind of funny um and then i always think when i see him did he sleep with that woman because he was a he was the uh Notorious womanizer. <laughs> no, no, it's funny, but Bruce Willis, even if you think about it, if you watch the movie closely, yeah, you're right. He's part of the vehicle to be in the film. He doesn't need to be in the film the second half moving on because, you know, he he takes Mila Dolovich to the, the priest guy, right? The, the father and, and they get reconnected because she just. He just happens to live in New York City too, I guess. Um, but then he like he goes back home, and then you know the the, the government shows them like we need you for this special mission. Um, so you know, so it's obvious. Like, yeah, you're right. It's this. He's the star power to get this thing going. Um, he's the leading man. Yeah, um, and you need that for, for the American actor in it, um, well, especially in that era too. Um, um, and and he is sort of the the odd man out a little bit um, in, in the movie. Um, but 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 I, so. I think it works well with him in it, um, and he's also he's the dad figure, right? For which is somewhat looking at him this way, right? He's just like parental figure for Mila Jovovich, who right. looking at some of these. I, other I people, didn't like, I didn't get that impression. At one point, he tried to kiss her when she was unconscious. I don't know if you guys remember that. <laughs> so, but it's a dystopian future, though. Like, I, think, I, think that, I think there's a weird transition that he goes through, and, and there's a couple of those in kind of trying to to ensure her safety. Yeah. Right. Initially, it's oh, there's this this help with this woman. It's like help me 
mm-hmm. right? Or how whatever it is she says so as she she falls yeah, through the wood, like the fucking roof of his is taxi. Which, which, by the way, on a side note, all the kind of CG all, CGI stuff, that stuff holds up. Like even no shit jumping out. Of I watched it. Head. I watched it on a 4K transfer on. It holds up and. Man, the, the city design and yeah. the, like the interwoven just like huge props to just Derek. You're talking about like behind the scenes that you know what's in the background, building worlds, building scenes. Just just for that alone, something just about production value and and something you can sell the vision of a world. Um, e- even when you're lacking some technology that nowadays you know supersedes any of that. Um, it's can can you tell at times when yeah when it's when it's an overlay and, and whatnot sure um, you can see the sort of cutout space emerging especially the, the better transfer you know the higher quality resolution you're looking at it but it still looks amazing um, just to kind of on a side note which was shocking right so so let's I mean since we're on CGI right now and we're talking about CGI versus practical effects and the practical and the some uh, of the practical effects mm, you know that they don't hold up so well our turkey robots don't look great. No, Mondosha wants like the, yeah. that. That was a, exactly what I was about to say. Like the the keepers, right? The the protectors of of the the weapon. Um, that stilted kind of jerky. Like they had it, a little laser just, lights on their penis. That was the weirdest thing. That, that, that too. That too. <laughs> but again, like, what, it's, it's are you French. trying to let us know? Like it's French. It's European. I mean, look, Mila. I, yeah, like, that's what I just ah, those French. He, like uh, he's naked the whole film with like straps, things that are pointing towards her crotch. The entire bandage time. outfit is is definitely a it, it's on. a choice, right? It's, it's, it's a choice, like, and it, it was a choice for me. Movie, though. I mean, it's a conscious, blatant choice. Yeah, it's like oh, everything's pointing towards her various private areas. Uh, and highlighting, bringing all the eye lines to the key spots, and but yet you're also you're talking about this. What is essentially a, a child? Yeah, right. Like she like she's brought. That's like, what was confusing, it, though, man. Because they cloned her from a, from a hand, yeah. right? Yeah. Because she was in a sarcophagus at the very beginning of the movie, five hundred in nineteen fourteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was, and then so they took it away, and they're bringing it back, and they get blown up. So she was in that sarcophagus the whole time. But yeah. she's, they kept saying she was perfect, but she couldn't communicate properly. It was the weird. I don't know. Well, no, but I mean, think about this, right? Like, it, they they did use like synth, like synthetic technology, like they they use modern modern whatever the fuck future they're in technology to creates being from what they can map of DNA. Essentially, she was born. Uh, right? When, when she first appears in the film, she is born of science. And she doesn't have the context, right? She's, she's an adult being physically, but she doesn't have the knowledge. She doesn't have the context. She hasn't grown up in this environment. She can't she she's misplaced right she's lost she's confused and, and doesn't like I, it's like a baby being born into the world like it, she doesn't speak until she literally falls through bruce bruce willis's fucking cab and says help because she somehow makes out the word help written on the poster a, a, a poster in in the back seat of the cab and it's not until she 
they take like he takes her to visit the priest and the priest starts like oh we can upload all this information right to her it's not until she starts receiving those like she starts consuming those uploads of of alphabetized information that you start to realize like oh wow this is this is like a a story of rapid growth right this this is this is if we could create an ideal human being who could synthesize all of the body of knowledge of humanity up to this point in time would we be better off right because we know we know what people do when information is freely available they just fucking ignore it but if we could just pump it into their brain would it register and and for her she's consuming this and and she's growing she goes from being a baby to a fully like full-fledged adult and I mean, I mean, the span of like i can accept that postulation sir. like three days <laughs> i can accept that yeah yeah i, I yeah i was gonna say my last points that i wanted to mention i thought were very interesting are the signs of that post-apocalyptic world for one thing there's garbage everywhere yeah everywhere there's just piles of garbage um that was very interesting and then also i noticed that every place that everyone lived there was two circles on the wall and a sign that said stand clear right and that's when the police would come with their little x-ray thing and you have to get up on the wall like those two things like so luke basson thinks the future is just full of trash and like authoritarian police say well and and, and the use of biomarkers right yep which yep. is is a critical piece of all of this i shit the world building here happens very quickly and it's hyper effective um i mean within the first 20 25 minutes of the film right you get introduced to almost all of the major characters even zord uh fuck, gary Oldman's insane in this just insane brilliant ridiculous but there's a, there's that one thing he gets a phone call right it's like the shareholder like stocks are down so he's like fire five hundred thousand people oh, yeah, yeah. right the shareholders are like you need to fire five hundred thousand people he's like fire one million one million yeah. and then he talks to the like he talks to the mangalores and he's like it, he gets into this whole diatribe about like how this all works and you realize like wow yeah no this is the path we're on this is how capitalism works right this is this is what we see. This is a, a mere extrapolation of the microcosm that, that is our present in 1997. And I don't think that's changed much in the last 24 years. Definitely late stage capitalism is going on there. <laughs> oh, you know, over, over uh, zealous, zealot cap, uh, consumerism. Um, it's very interesting, this, this, some of the choices of the world that was around them you know what it was like what the people like every other person you meet besides the main character have this like weird tweaker drug addict like guy knocks on the door and he tries to rob him yeah. inside of his own door right like all these <laughs> Give it a strange Give it a girls. there's a group of japanese girls too which is i don't really understand that too but it's just things like that like all the women having the same haircuts uh but there is this one scene though where tricky is a roach 
He's got a microchip on a roach. <laughs> and he's climbing on the table, and the dude smashes it, and his headphones literally just pop up straight right. like that. <laughs> All that. <laughs> I was like, oh, look at that old Jerry Lewis. That old French comedy. Well, that, yeah, comedy is an interesting piece. It's also a silly movie. Um, there's a lot of just, like, when you, yeah, it's just, it's, sometimes you're watching it, and you're like, well, you know, it's, it works, but at the same time, it, it, some of it catches you off guard a little bit. It's just how, like when they stick the, the when in Bruce Willis's apartment, right? When he hides them all in the freezer um, thing, right? Freezer, the shower, the, it was like the slapstick of it. A, everyone's having a good time, but Mila, she just, I don't know why she took that role so serious. I don't think she took it that serious. I, I think it was playing on, again, what the, the comment I made, you know, not that long ago. She's a new being in this world, right? It, how disorienting is that, right? Yeah. I, I like as a parent, I I recall I was there like when both of my both of my daughters were born. I like I caught them out of the womb, and could you imagine like coming from this like cozy, warm, liquid like. Like to the stark cold world, and and, and and then and then trying to orient yourself and do so as a like a physically fully formed being, but a mentally and emotionally like I I don't have a history, I have no memories. It was just strange that they kept calling her perfect. She's perfect. She's perfect. She's perfect. And it's like, what, what do you mean by perfect? So she's not scantily clad, doesn't really talk back, uh, takes her clothes off when everyone's looking and doesn't mind. Like, it, I, it's just a subtext in movies. Because to me, those, those things make the most impact is the subtext. Because the things you don't notice, but you still consume. So I, I read the subtext as innocence. And like, because, so for example, Part of the reason I read that is as she's she's pure and innocent. As they start filling her with information about the current world and they're going alphabetically, she's consuming, consuming, consuming. The moment that the the W's hit and she's hit with war, mm-hmm. she's overwhelmed. Like she's overwhelmed with emotion. She's overwhelmed with like trying to place herself and understand what the fuck is humanity right and there's even an exchange like a bit after that where she's like lilu is talking to to corbin that like the, the ruthless character corbin and and she's like humans are so strange and he says what do you mean and she says everything you create you use to destroy and he says they call it human nature and and I, that's why I didn't read the, the comments about her being a perfect being as like this commentary on her sexuality or her physicality or the, the way she looked. I read it as we're going to play with that because that's where fully like that's where people's minds go. But we're going to I want he, I read it as Basson saying like this is a child. Right? This is this but is she a came out asking for the priest by name though. That's like she was like, I need to see whatever the priest's name was. I'm like, 
How does she? Uh, that's know? a plot hole, and it's hard coded in her I DNA. Know, I know. Something that's what's funny is like, and he happens to be in New York City, and you know, it's some of those things. But no, I mean, I think some of the stuff with Mila Jovovich, I agree. I, I see both sides of it. It's like one, like her between her hair, her lack of clothing, her look. Uh, it's iconic in this film, right? That you remember it. It was. It's done on purpose to, like, and and yes, she's. You know, an attractive well, I, female. No question. No, go ahead. No. I was gonna say, I th- I feel like the scene where she jumps off the building was inspired by uh, Ghost in the Shell. Almost the exact same thing. She's standing oh, I, in the I, I think I think you're absolutely right. No one doubt. Yeah. But no, but so, like I, the animated one, not because obviously the yeah yeah not the um, sorry just no. my not the Scarlett Johansson yeah Scarlett Johansson thing um, unless he was like a prophet saw the future. Um, but no, um, but no, I agree. I could see the two sides of it. Hey, we need this sex symbol. Um, and, and it's playing on a lot of these sort of helpless female tropes um, with, we, we talked about the escort mission and um, the older <laughs> male, twice her age, um, who is the one who he is the kind of oblivious one to all that's happening. She's the one with the true knowledge and, and, and all that. But, but he's the protector and the father and the role of this, like, I will, I will get, so I can see all that. Um, at the same time, and I think that's there, and I think it's present. I think some of it is done on purpose, for sure, and some of it purposely plays into the tro- tropes, and, per- and some of it is. Not only do you need Bruce Willis to sell this movie, you need a sexy female, you know, for lack of a better term, to sell this movie. Because they, they figured that out when they, they made Hudson Hawk. <laughs> that's a good movie though man that movie's hilarious this will work better that's a different discussion for a different day yeah. but it, it's like they're, they're like we can sell this on bruno yeah. and it's like uh well uh, not critics you can't yeah. and so though like you know there's two images come to mind when you think of fifth element i think either people are big you know really aware of the film vaguely aware it's bruce willis or it's her and it's her outfit um well, even was, bruce Bruce Willis has that weird. It's, it's like this is a man who is clearly soul passion. His 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 hairline is clearly just fighting. That was when he was clinging to whatever. Marrying Demi Moore at that time. Yeah, but it's it's like that little bleached knot mm-hmm. of blonde hair clinging it. to the top of his head, just but, beyond his five head. I mean, and I would say on the second part of it with her and, and that character, I, I think, you know, Derek, you said a couple of times, like, oh, she's the one, like, not in on the, the fun, if you will, like taking it so seriously. I, I think regardless of how her character comes off, she needs to be the the one. She's not the one that's part of this world. Um, she is the the one who is unaware. She's totally of, foreign and alien. That's what I mean. Right? She's the one. Yeah. So she should be aloof disoriented, um, reacting differently, seem misplaced and out of place amongst all of it. Um, you Dallas Multipass? Like, just <laughs> that, like, love, that's love. so much fun. Yeah. It's but, a fun little, it, it's a throwaway gag, but it's, it's like, wow, no, that's what someone who didn't know where they were, or what the fuck this world was, would do. Yeah. But the nature she, of her, it, he doesn't initiate her power and save the world until Bruce Willis kisses her. Well, that's and like I said, I I, th- I think this this oh, movie. Oh, does, oh no, we're all gonna die. Bruce doesn't kiss me. No, you're right. Like, I think this, this movie does. <laughs> it does flip between the seesaws between the two, right? These sort of like ridiculous tropes. Um, she needs a man to let right. that freedom and that power go. It, it does. I think no, it's 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 not that she needs a man. It's 
the fifth no, element she, is love. You believe in love, yeah. no, right? Yeah. And that cancels out the war and all that because she was depressed. I know. I'm just. No, no, but I, I think it's a movie. <laughs> it's just funny. One, that's all. One could make a trolling sure. argument for either side, uh, no question, uh, with this movie and, and her character and just the way she is created and drafted um, and presented in this film. Um, yeah, 100%. But 100%. I just appreciate that that humanity saving grace, like the greatest weapon potentially ever known to the universe, is a woman. Mm-hmm. It's a woman. Like, they didn't make it a man. They didn't make it a machine. They didn't make it a gun. They didn't make it a tank. They didn't make it some weird explosive. It was it was a woman. And it was... She needs... She just... She needs to be treated as an individual. She needs to be respected for what she is. And she needs to be unconditionally loved. To unlock that power and, and like that that's the i mean come on like how, how do you read that any other way when literally the light is projected out of her mouth right and it's, well, it's just because every single female character in that entire movie acts the same exact way and has the same exact haircut that's just weird i mean background okay. characters can see some like there's actually this uh the alien that was acting like a human it was a woman and she had a shaved head very very european but well, it's it, it, weird. They all have the bob cut. All have the same haircut. Not but Plava Laguna, right? The the main like the the main performer at at Lost in Paradise, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 so this gets into the other piece of this film that I absolutely fucking love, which is the soundtrack and the score. But she like she's a critical piece of this, and there's nothing remotely like sexual. I mean. It's this blue being covered in latex. Yeah, mm-hmm. and amazing. Like that's all practical makeup, and a, and and it's fantastic. That was his girlfriend, I think I read. Lupus. Um, but just the sounds, like the 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 com- the composition, right? It's, it's this weird music mix of opera, hip hop, and and electronica, and it it. It's like, wow, okay, 1997, yeah, these are all things that exist. And he's like, no, in the future, it's all just swirled together because that's the way music works over time. I don't like Limp Biscuit. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, well, it's rap, it's rock. What is it? What is it? Is it college? Is yeah, it, where was the new it's, metal? It's, it's shit. Where that's what it is. Limp Biscuit is shit. Um, but I, I think... Overall, the score for this film, I think, is fantastic. I think it fits this futuristic sci-fi kind of vibe. But that particular performance and it being played simultaneously with these kind of gunfights that are happening in other parts of the ship, and and you get to almost like this is like the heist part of of the film, right? It's it just. It, it works so well. I think what it is too is is that I look at I look at his films, right? So the professional, right? Very much a female empowerment movie. Very much so. But film Nikita, right? Even more so. But yep. then you look at he so I mean I guess Lucy has had the Scar Joe curse, but whatever. But yep. there's that other the um Jupiter ascending. Yep. 
No, that's that's the Wachowskis. Okay, what was it? Valerian and the Valerian and City of yeah, and the City of a Thousand Planets. Science fiction very well. That's really what I think it is. At the end of the day, he's good at telling human stories and not sci-fi. But that's just me. I'd make the argument uh, that in Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, right, the the male character is not the hero. Um, I'd make the argument that that he's semi inept and slightly misguided, but it's it's the it's the character Delavine's character who actually kind of saves his ass. And and I think Luke Besson, I I mean, granted, yeah, you're right. This is a man, he's writing most of his screenplays. Like, it's not particularly a lot of, of like, female input uh, into the screenwriting process. But I think he's trying to tell stories that are about empowered women. And I think he's trying to tell stories and again, yeah, it's a man trying to tell stories about the value of women, and so that yeah, it's problematic. Well, but I appreciate the consistency of his efforts. In in whereas there are other directors who are supposed to be great directors who often just write inept and insipid and just throw away female characters. Yeah. And Scorsese comes to mind when I talk about, like, when I think about that, like, um, and he's he, Tarantino at times does the same thing. It's it's oh, he did Kill Bill. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, Kill Bill, Jackie Brown, but but also let's think about some of the other female characters in some of the other stories, and and that's that's all I'm saying. I think it's hard to find. You're hard pressed to find male directors and screenwriters who are trying and maybe they're they're not wholly successful and they're not perfect but they're trying to say like hey guys like can we can we just turn our heads for a second and really appreciate what these what what women can offer yeah. and what they bring to the table like we, if we want to talk about war and, and aggression and masculinity, like that's at the root of of where societies crumble, and I think we know that history's proven that. We, historically, what do we see when we see societies that function in a more egalitarian and, and diplomatic fashion? There are societies that were governed by women native american groups there were there were african groups there were you know middle east like it you have these these ancestral and and, and kind of antiquated like historical groups where power flowed through the maternal lineage not the paternal lineage and and there was an emphasis on letting each person in the tribe or the group speak. And we've lost that through our like European notion that all things need to be determined and governed by power and masculinity. And no, this isn't a perfect film. And, and 
but but I appreciate what Bassan is trying to say. Hmm. I mean, I accept that. I <laughs> parts I disagree with, but I accept that. <laughs> All right, let's, unless there's other thoughts, I think we're at that voting point. We're at this. Uh, I, th- I think we're there. Um, I think you're right. And I want to do something a little different. Normally, Derek, what we do is we write down great or not great on a piece of paper, you know, integrity's sake. <laughs> that way that way, no one gets, uh, you know, you, you, you stick to your guns, right? You don't feel like, hey, I'm going to change it because uh, the way the voting thing. And normally, we all hold it up at the same time real quick, right? Gabriel, that's usually how we do it. I was just thinking. I just, that's how we do it. I know, because we've never figured yeah, out. Yeah, I usually got to get beat over the head to change my mind, so no worries about no, that. No, that's the great thing. Um, <laughs> one of our previous shows, okay. um, friend of the show, Stacy, you know, talk, we talked a bit about with her about uh, feelings about a movie, like great conversations about a movie and a movie itself. Like, where does that sometimes change your thoughts and influence and um, and can your opinion change during the conversation? And that's 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 the quagmire i always find myself in um at the end of every one of our greatest movies discussions giggity, giggity. i know right that, there it goes it's, that i don't even know if, is that still a thing is that still on the word cat quagmire without the family guy reference someone making well uh, that that character is problematic i, I appreciate I'm, I'm, quagmire. I'm problematic. <laughs> um yeah so anyway it, it's always you always find you in a tough spot like where do you have you been swayed have you changed your mind all that the 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 baggage and legacy and history you have with the film all of it your thoughts changing over years so it's 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 a lot so in the last moment we write down great or not great and then we we share but if you don't oppose gabriel i thought it might be cool because we always stumble into like a post voting conversation because people like to explain their votes since since you've already had it written down why don't we just one by one go around and share our vote? You can say a little piece to explain your vote, and then and then we're good. Works for me, right? Because then it's this way of like I'm trying to think of the listener. You know, 39 episodes in, um, <laughs> I know our patrons can see. It doesn't it. matter. We don't. No one else is counting. I know. No well, one. No one well, else. Well, does require us to submit it in triplicate what the votes it's are. True. Um, they're they're looking at overhead. So. Um, yeah, so if we're cool, just go on. I, I don't mind starting unless someone else wants to do their first reveal. Oh, by all means, go ahead. New format. Um, uh, for real. So I don't know if I, I feel weird going first, but I'm gonna do it. Um, my vote is, um, I got a not great for the fifth element. Um, is this a binary decision? Is it great or not great? Is that it? That's it. Great. Yeah, that's that's kind of how it goes. You have, to, you have to go on the other side. Yeah. So you, you right. got to pick a side. Oh, damn it. So hopefully you already have, I already tipped my hand. So, um, you know, make sure you have everything down. But um, I put um, not great. Two reasons. One, as I said in the beginning, it didn't click with me in 97. It it's it's still I, it still just doesn't click with me in a way of a, a film. I it, truly enjoy watching from beginning to end. Um, the world building is awesome. Um, I think a lot of the points we made in the world that it's presented are great and valid and things I really do appreciate. Um, but as a film, it has yet to, I ha- it hasn't gelled with me yet. Um, and it's a film I still struggle with. I, I know a film a lot of people love and, 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 and even to a lot of points, 
you've mentioned Gabriel about things you've liked over the years. It's like it's been a film like what, what, what why, why aren't, why isn't Fifth Element clicking with me? And it hasn't, it hasn't clicked yet. Um, but I enjoyed it much more this time than last time. But it's still, it's still at a not great for me. So who wants to go next? Um. Oh, hmm. yeah. I'm. I'm gonna like Derek. Yeah, I love it. Oh, you're up. Unless you like, are are you in a quandary? Do you not? Are you you? Well, I'll say you, this. You still processing? Because <laughs> I, I can go and give you a, a, a little bit more time. Okay. All oh, right. I love it. I love it. Suspense. So, so for me. Yeah. If it if it wasn't clear. Um, I literally I came into this film fully expecting this time to be like yep no it doesn't work Uh, there's really there's some really just incomplete scenes there's some incomplete screenwriting Um, there are holes right there there are holes in this plot uh I don't know if Luke Besson's made like a really solid film since. Uh, is this better than The Professional? These were all questions I like kind of raised in my mind before I started watching this film this time. And what I arrived at was this story is so rich with trying to tell so many different facets of humanity and our existence and trying to make us laugh in that kind of traditional, like to your point, Derek, right? It, this is a very, from a comedy perspective, holy shit, is this a French film? It's, it's, it's very French in its comedy. It's, it's slapstick and it's, it's uh, ennui, and, and and it's it's what is it? Uh, what's it called? Innuendo. That's mm. the word. Um, but it's also very American in its action. Um, it functions fairly decently as a sci-fi film. And somehow it's it's also a heist movie with a couple of double crosses or at least misdirections. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's camp. It's just, I think it's campy. I think the soundtrack is fantastic. I, I think everyone plays everything perfectly, right? They, they strike that perfect balance between this is a drama or sci-fi or action film, and this is a comedy. Like, that's Willis's fucking wheelhouse is action comedy. Nails it. Gary Oldman, it's, hey, Oldman, here you go. Play some over-the-top fucking kook. Bad guy. And he's like, I got you. This is Chris Tucker's best film role period mm. it is his best performance <laughs> it's it's the it is it is the one performance where he stretches himself 
because he's essentially the same character in the Rush Hour trilogy and Friday. He falls into tropes, not for any fault of his, I think. I think it's, it's casting and directing. But he, he really pushes the limits of kind of where is the boundary of sexuality and gender for this character? I, I'm, he's clearly highly desired by women, but simultaneously completely androgynous. And plays that in this absurd yet perfect fashion. I just, I appreciate what this film is. Is it a perfect film? No. Is it, is it even necessarily like on paper a great film? No. Has this film stood the test of time and stayed with me? Is it memorable? Do I think to this film? Like, can I visually, are there, there are images from this film that are burned into my brain? Is it a film that went, every time I go back to it and, and revisit and watch it, do I enjoy myself even going in? I literally went in this time thinking like, I'm not going to enjoy this and I don't want to watch this. And I watched it and I still loved it. That's why it's a great film to me. That's a great one. Great. All right. One great. Well, I, you know what? I, I will say, as much as I may have seemed to disagree with you, Gabriel, I agree with you on a lot of things that you've said. Uh, a big one is so I, I my memory of this movie um, is a probably bigger than in my brain than the movie is to me in reality. Um, I, I, when I was a kid, I, up until I actually watched it recently, I would have put it on my list of like, yeah, it's a pretty great movie. I like it, you know? And maybe just the cynicism of age and uh, and the, uh, I don't know, what is it? Just the, the callousness that, you know, 40 some years of life gives you toward themes. Uh, I, I think that's, good. you nailed it with cynicism of age. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm there with you. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say that it is a very ambitious film, especially for its time. Um, when I, it's 1997, I was 16 years old, 17, turned 17 that year. I love the movie. And, and, I, and, I, and I think a part of me that is still that person loves the movie, right? I, I think I just, maybe a part of me had to, pick it apart because I had to discuss it rather than just like, yeah, it was cool, you know, move on. So, but, but, um, I, I will say that looking at it through, through the lens of that you described Gabriel, right. The, uh, the idea of, you know, innocence and, and learning and, and, and taking care of and, If I was a younger person, maybe I could see those things. <laughs> but now that I've aged, I feel like overall, let me just get to the point. I would say that it's a it's a great movie with an asterisk. Right, look at that. Great movie with I'll, an asterisk. I'll take an asterisk. The old, uh, I love it. 
Um, I will. I will take an asterisk. It seemed like you were going not great the whole time. Hey, it really well, did. No. <laughs> I need to be convinced a little bit, and I can only be convinced by disagreeing sometimes. Oh, look at that. that makes sense. I, oh, <laughs> Fifth Element, one of the greatest movies of all time. There we go. No, like no shit. Like all honesty, I I'm not kidding. I I went in watching this like like well. I don't want to destroy my memories of this film. That was the way I think that was the dread with which I went into this watch with. I was like, it's not going to hold up. It's not going to hold up. I was hoping to, to get into it this time. And it's, it's, I watched it like a couple, two, two and a half times. And I didn't bother me to watch the two and a half times. Cause it was that entertaining. I'll be, well, I, I would say, so I would say 35, 40 minutes in, I was like, yeah, it's not holding up. <laughs> and then by the by the by the end, it was like, nah, I'm I'm good. Yeah, this this fucking cool. works for me. Cool. And all right. Well, listen. Yeah. What what do I know? Um Fifth Element. I'll stand listen, that that's what I've said. That's always been my quagmire with this film. Like I know so many people love it. Um your what what all of you have said is is valid and, and I agree with a lot of it and reasons why it should be a great film. Um, it's just, for me personally, it's, it's, it never clicked. So, um, Look, I, I, <laughs> I can look. Cool. You want to get down to it, right? I think The Professional is a better film. I mean, look, I think, I think, me, listen, Nikita I, I would agree with that, but may also be a better film. But no, but I, I think like with the world presented in this film, it's, it's like Derek said, tremendously ambitious um, film. And, and not just on the world building, in, in all aspects, it, it's an ambitious film. Um, no question. 97 to yeah. put, like, to put the, like, I mean, come on. We we got those Star Wars prequels Ugh. after this. Ugh. And yeah. Jesus Christ, the CGI is worse. Ugh. All right. So, fifth I, element. One of the greats. So um, let's play a game. Do it. My thing. Let's do it. All right. Today's game is a variation of mediocre in the middle, but we're going to do it a little different. Um, I'm sharing my screen with all of us here, and what we have—correct me if I'm wrong—is our 12 Bruce Willis films. That's true. They are reading from the list in. Should be alphabetical order. Lee, um, reoccurring guest of the show, Lee, put this list together for us. And we have Die Hard, A Good Day, Die Hard, Look Who's Talking <laughs> to, Looper, Moonrise Kingdom, North, The Prince, Pulp Fiction, Reprisal, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Vice. Our task. So, so we're, we're taking a shortened list of Bruce Willis films. Yeah, so where this list came from is a website ranked the top six Bruce Willis films and the bottom, the worst six Bruce Willis films. I think this is according to looper.com. And since we did the fifth element, our task, our game is we need to pick number five. Each of us need to pick number five on both of those lists. So you're looking for the number five. We're looking for two, fifth best, fifth worst. Fifth best, fifth worst. And the closest to, um, both. I guess, you know, the closest to the number 10, if we add our numbers up, right, that would be, give us a pretty close, but the closest to the five um, would be our winner. 
So this is the mix of the worst and the best list, the top six and the bottom six. We just need number five from, from both of those lists. So we'll, what we do, Derek, we just write it down. And when you have your two films, we'll share it. And then we'll go to the website and check our answers. Trick is, have you seen enough Looper videos to know how they how they rank movies? I haven't. Um, <laughs> I have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you might have a slight advantage to us here. North. Again, the, the list, Die Hard. A good day to die hard. Look who's talking to Looper, Moonrise Kingdom, North. The Prince, Pulp Fiction, Reprisal, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Vice. I got mine. All right, you got yours, Derek. You got yours? Yes, I do. All right, here's where we'll share our um, our answers. Um, what I've written down, I've written down, um, I think number five best will be Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then the worst, number five, look who's talking to. So I have fifth best, Die Hard. Okay. Fifth worst, North. North. And Derek, what, what are your picks? I, I say fifth best is Unbreakable, and the fifth worst is Look Who's Talking To. Okay, okay, all right. So let's see what we got here. And again, we'll kind of work together. Let me pull the website up. We'll work together for our scoring as uh, best we can. I think, did somebody say Moonrise Kingdom? I said Moonrise Kingdom was number five. I think that's going to be higher because it's, I mean, just overall, like, I think that's that's a, that's what, that's in my top, like, four Wes Anderson films. You know, you might be right. I wasn't um, sure where to go with it. Here it is. The six best, because what I did when I did this, I wrote Bruce Willis ranked and then i had um lee look it up for us all right so, so number one worst number one worst looks to be a good day to die hard who is that guy behind him in that that's sam worthington who, who the fuck is that i have no idea yeah that's what it looks like yeah. the dude from um Okay, so this movie is unbreakable. Yeah, it's a bullshit ass list. Where's the number one is unbreakable? It's is better that... than, than other lists we've used in the past where yeah, they said right. best 80s movies and they have movies from the 90s in it. So we said number two. And again, so this is what happens when I don't, because I can't preview the things. All right, so well, unbreakable is one best, one. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then, and good, good day, day to die. Number one worst. All right, so then we're going number two. Um, worst. Reprisal. 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 Well, I, I, that's probably reprisal. All right. And then number two is You Were Right, Moonrise Kingdom. For the second best. Third worst, The Prince. And third best is Looper. Fourth is, fourth worst is Vice. Fourth best is the sixth sense. And then here's our here's our big ones. Number five for worst. Look who's talking to. So Derek, I, Derek and I are on the board for that. You got a five. So you both have a five, and one of you has a one. No. I have a two, right? A two. 
Yeah. I'm a five and a one. I was, I, I, you said, I think I'm, I said uh, Unbreakable was the fifth best. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So you, you, so Derek has a five and a one. You have a five and a two. So that's a seven. Mm-hmm. And you have, Gabriel, There's six. The fifth best film of his is Die Hard, which that was your pick, right? Yes. And then, so you might, and then the worst, number six is North, which puts you at a, that was yours as well, correct? Yeah, think, North, okay. And then his sixth best was Pulp Fiction, so I think that puts North, you at the winner. North is a turd. North was the sixth worst film on the list. So that makes that, you... That, oh boy. I I, have, yeah. have either of you ever, ever seen even the trailer for North? No, but we have a young Elijah Wood. Yeah, uh, no, look at that cast. Real, like, just Jason oof. Alexander, Julius, Julia, uh, Julia Lewis Dreyfus, Dan Aykroyd, John Ritter, Reba McIntyre, Faith Ford. Killer cast. I mean, Reba McIntyre of Tremors fame. Of Reba fame. Uh, of Tremors fame. Not like, right. Who knew that she was a country music star? So thank you, uh, Looper.com. That puts you, Gabriel, you're the closest to both of those, closest to the pen, if you will. Maybe that's what we should have called that game, um, closest to the pen. Um, you got a five and six choices. So, the, Derek, we thank you for being on the show. Um, hopefully, we'll have you back really soon. This was a really good conversation. Um, I really enjoyed it. You know, it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> we do I appreciate, I appreciate we do the conversation. Yeah. I, I definitely appreciate the the different perspective and, and kind of the I was shocked you went great. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Well, well as a professional, he played it. I was, I was I had to wipe away the cynicism of age. <laughs> and just about everything's great when you do that. I, I struggle with that on a daily basis and what we call everyday life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's, it's the number one the sign str- of getting old. The struggle is real. Listen, we all got gray hairs in here. So no, so that so we appreciate I know um we definitely want to have you back sooner than later. This is awesome. I know you also, in, in sort of our um, prepping, you, you pitched a, a kind of cool show idea um, for comparing a couple movies. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll look at that in the future. I'm talking about your, 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 not to give too much away, but the Dick Tracy films involved. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Warren Beatty cast? What are we what? <laughs> Hot takes, hot takes coming from Derek uh, over here. Um, but listen, we'll we'll hold that for a future episode. So thank you, and um, we'll end it here real quick with Gabriel. Uh, final word: You get to either um, name an instant great or call into question one of our previously named greats by a winner. And currently sitting up for review that could be challenged in in place of your pick. We have Jackie Brown, The Shawshank Redemption, Persona, and Rushmore. Yeah, no, I, I'm good. like I have no desire to call into question any of those films. Sweet. I think I'm fine with all the films standing where they they are. Um. This is this is, I don't know, this is kind of maybe this is out of left field. I don't know. Um, 
my instant great is Disney's Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah, that that's the look I was expecting when I brought that up. Um, you know, not all not all the Disney films that were put out in the seventies were were good. But there's something really special about Robin Hood. The songs from Robin Hood are fantastic. I mean, the story itself. I mean, come on. Here we we, we got a guy who is a, it's classic. It's the story of Robin Hood. It's robs from the rich, gives the poor, tries to to look out for the general welfare welfare of of the populace at large. Uh, classic animal socialism. Uh, you know, the big scary boogie monster that is socialism. I love everything about that film. Like, I, I loved introducing it to my children. I love the way they reacted to it. I, I love the rooster, who is the, like, he's the minstrel and he, he sings the songs of Robin Hood and oodle alley, oodle alley, golly, what a, what a day. Like, fantastic. It's, Roger Miller is the voice of the rooster. Roger Miller of, of country and Western and, and American songwriting thing there's not a bad character in this film like it's it's told it in such a manner that that's so accessible and so much fun the animation's great it's it's a slice of nostalgia and it just works it the fact that I can watch this in 2021 with my eight nine-year-old daughter and they watch it and they they love it as much as i loved it when i was a kid when i watched it That's... disney's robin hood you've never seen it fucking watch it do yourself a favor you'll feel better in the end like one legit email in the greatest movies email oh, box oh really yeah Wait, someone yeah, emailed uh, us